Hello and welcome to Nalshare with Dr. Dave, hosted on grokshare.com and available on iTunes and Google Play. Welcome to 2017. I hope you have identified a few New Year's evolution goals, as I would like to see more people working toward evolving into new opportunities in life versus establishing resolutions that are hard to achieve without an incremental approach. I wish you a prosperous journey toward your 2017 New Year's evolution. You're listening to episode number 30, a deep dive discussion with Heidi Helfand about micro teams and the value of going with smaller teams during the agile adoption and transformation experiences. Usually, I am on the interviewing side of my podcast, but in episode number 30, Heidi interviewed me for her book titled Dynamic Reteaming, The Art and Wisdom of Changing Teams, published on Lean Pub. Microteams have trade-offs and benefits, but for me, smaller is bigger, and the happiness indicator for teams are greater. You know, when I when we were at Agile Open NorCal and uh, you did the session on the microteams, and I was in there, I was just totally fascinated. So I was wondering if you could tell me the story about how they emerged and how it's going and uh, you know how it emerged, what you're doing and why and what you've been learning about it. I mean, when I think of micro teams, I, I think of teams that are about three to five members, you know, self-organizing, working toward producing a customer value. Where it started for me was uh, with my Five Saturdays program where I'm teaching high school kids uh, technology and, and agile practices, it was interesting that when the teams got too large, when, when we look at the standard agile sizes of seven plus or minus, um, I noticed mm -hmm. that the noise level was just so horrendous that people were unable to really concentrate and focus. And I said, you know what, why don't I bring these down to a triad, three people and a team at a minimum. Going into that model, that model began to produce a lot more fruit because we were doing what I call micro scrum. 15 minutes is, is a sprint. So mm -hmm. you can imagine how fast that is. That started to work. So that's recently, with the five Saturdays? Yeah, that's with the five Saturdays program. Mm -hmm. About five months ago, I came to uh, this company and had a, a team that was about seven people strong. There's a great level of dysfunction taking place in that team. Uh, one member kind of like dominated the conversation and they had other dynamics. So it's like, geez, I mean, that was great learning from, you know, teaching high school uh, students how to do uh, scrum and technology that maybe if I split these teams into to smaller things that, that are centered around someone that's uh, quality centric, what we call testers or test engineers, mm -hmm. that they become the hub and then you pair them up with two developers. In that way, once you engage in all of the practices of whether you're doing peering or you're doing mobbing, now you could have that great balance. You could do at most two stories at, at a time, every two to three days, where you have this balance between where you have the quality person involved at all time between those two developers. And I have testimony from them 
mm. that things are going really well. They're really happy about the change and the dynamics. When we think about it, right, you think about it, this that communication between team members, one of the key benefits of the agile practice, one of the key things. When we think of teams that are seven to nine members in size, I look at things from a communication channel. How many people need to engage in a dialogue and interact and collaborate? Well, when you go back to like germinal research from like Ken Schwaber and Mike Beadle from like 2002, their opinion is seven plus or minus two. And this is based on some research by George Miller in 1956. And he came up with this, his research was called the magical number seven plus or minus two. That's where a lot of that theory came from. And I went back and I was going through my research when I was doing my doctoral thesis. I referenced that research there, but then I also remember that I also referenced it in Beadle and Schwaber in their first book that, that they came out with. These larger teams create this, what do we call uh, a constraint for communication and constraint for collaboration. And that's just my, my view on it. So when we think about communication channels, it is a calculation on, or that goes like n times n minus one divided by two, where n represents the number of team members communicating. So for example, if I have three team members, which is n, n, which is three times three minus two, three times two is six, divided by two gives you a number of three communication channels. If you have four team members, you get six, five, you get 10, seven, look at the jump, almost two x. 21, 9, 36. Could you imagine the, the competition that goes on between individuals to share and collaborate that you have individuals who are probably not as outgoing. They could be totally consumed or just be overshadowed by the bigger voice in house. And so for me, it's like, I want to limit the communication channels to 10 or less, which means that five would be the maximum number I would want in the team two testers and three developers built around that. And as you can see, the pairing between dev and test is equally balanced. This really gives us a greater engagement by each team member, and it also gives us a greater sense of community. Even if we go to conferences, and you and I go to a series of conferences, have you ever noticed when we're in a group of seven to 10 that there's a smaller pocket of number of people who are really driving in a conversation, and then you have the periphery? Right? Mm -hmm. But once you get into a smaller group, then everyone is engaged in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. A lot more conversation, a lot more opportunity to do that. If you go back and look at Eli Goldratt, um, who came up with the theory of constraint. And then so when you think of a theory of constraint, he thinks of identifying constraints of a system that impedes like an organizational goal. Teams are systems and there are goals for those teams to produce a customer value. Too many communication channels to me introduces complexity for managing like organic team engagement. To me, that, that is a huge issue. I think those are critical elements that we go back and look at different theories and practices that are out there that helps to support one direction. But I also have a theory about in 56 or even in, in 2002 when Beadle and Schwaber use that theory to ground their team size. I mean, they were thinking about static teams, in my opinion. 
and you could see that coming from 2002 onwards, I mean, that's what we have seen is static teams. Teams come together forever. Seldom do they reorganize and um, change things differently. From my mindset, I think teams should term limits. Term limits for teams. <laughs> that it should, be, <laughs> it should be limited to about two quarters, six months where we give teams enough time to settle in, build relationships, build community, learn how to collaborate with each other, but more important, also gives them the opportunity to work with other people, to share their knowledge and skills outwards. And I know this is a, a topic that you're very passionate about, about dynamic re-teaming. Mm -hmm. I think that going down that path, it's a very healthy way to go. One of the things that I drew from Beetle and those guys is that they had this opinion that limiting things of three team members, he said, it's a great benefit. This is a direct quote. It says, the team sizes of three can benefit, but the small size limits the amount of interactions and reduces productivity gains. Based on my, my experiments so far, that's not the case. You may be able to produce a smaller amount. You could do a composite of multiple micro teams and work on the same system. Because if you have a, let's call it a customer relationship management system you know, that has a presentation and interface, it has some business logic, and it has some back-end storage in a database somewhere. If you were building an interface to that, you could essentially put together three micro teams, tie them together with Scrum of Scrums, each one working on very specific things, and still mitigate all of the, the issues of dependencies and risks by just using our good practices that we've learned in Agile. Mm -hmm. And so you could even do the same thing if they're all working on, on, on the front end, just the screens, the presentation tier itself, whether it's a web app or not, that those individuals are able to connect and still work in different discrete part of the system, but bring them back together with using Scrum of Scrum. So you're, dealing, you're talking about dependencies, you're talking about risk. As you expand that out, and you start expanding the system to include the DevOps world, you could again start to engage other members and bring them as part of the, the triad. I like triads, three team members. Some people may want a little bigger, up to five. That's I really cool. I, I haven't thought very much about um, like triads of teams working together on something mm -hmm. bigger. Is that um, something from your experience? Like this that, is the micro teams, are they working on something with other teams or are they working on something independent? They're working on something with other teams as well. Mm -hmm. right? They're working on something with multiple other teams because mm -hmm. right? our systems are, in some ways, are interconnected mm -hmm. right? in different ways. One mm -hmm. system may produce data for an X that collects that and does some level of transformation and then there's some other type of visualization that may take place on the other side. Is it a component team organization and they're working within one component area? No, it's an application. It's a business oh. application. Okay. And so that, and that's why I use the CRM type of a reference mm -hmm. to, to create that perspective of having a presentation here, which is either a web app or, or some type of a desktop application, some business logic and a storage component. Okay, so they have something with a, a front end. It's yep. like a front end web app with a storage component. So that's an, 
like the kind of thing that these guys are working on. Yeah, but you also have the middle tier, which is the business logic side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does like that micro team, how do they get the work that they do? Like how does the workflow through? The, the yeah. workflow through is that we use, you know, the scale agile framework, I mean, has a component of big room planning. Mm-hmm. So we use an element of safe big room planning um, component to come together once a quarter. All teams come together um, in one big room and we start planning out the work. So let me walk you back. So if I'm starting Q4, somewhere in Q3, let's say 10 weeks before Q4 starts, we begin this dialogue with stakeholders. What do you guys have in mind for Q4? Every quarter we want to have some deliverable to market. I mean, our our business model doesn't support anything faster than a quarterly delivery. Mm -hmm. We're working in a medical space. So 10 weeks, we get stakeholder feedback. Eight weeks before Q4, we meet up again with, with the product owners and product managers. We have another dialogue in terms of, okay, what's the priority of, of these things based on all of the demand from customers, um, both internal and external? Um, what's the next level of work that we need to do and what's the priority? So then we mm-hmm. come back, we have that dialogue, we look at risk, we look at dependencies. Four weeks before Q4, I said, okay, fine. Is this the final list of things we're going to work on? What's your top 10 things per product manager? Mm -hmm. Um, that you want to get done for Q4. And so at that point, then we flip it and we said, now product owners go have this dialogue with the scrum master and the teams about what's coming for Q4. So we begin to have an introduction where that that becomes part of their grooming session. Mm -hmm. So now that work is understood at a very high level from an epic to feature perspective. Now, when we go into what we call a quarterly planning event, the two-day event, we walk in there with every team. Right now we have about seven teams. We walk in to the group and we said, here is a presentation of what we hope to get done over the next two days. And that this is the stream of work we're gonna do for um, Q4. The team spent two days going through decomposing, elaborating those features and the stories. Well, at the end of day one, we do a walkthrough. Just walking the room, seeing exactly where the teams are. Um, you know, are they 50% through with their planning? Do they have enough risk identified? Do they understand the dependencies? We also have a big dependency board that shows all of, you know, using a red string, we connect teams and their dependencies. So that gives you another visual of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Then at the end of day two, there is also uh, what we call a playout. This is the entry into Q4. Each one of the product owners stand up in front of all teams and all of us stakeholders and describe exactly what we're going to do for the next quarter. You know, here's the top five or 10 features that we're going to deliver. Um, here are the top three risks that we understand. Here are the dependencies that we understand as of today. With the reality that this is nothing more than a deeper level of visioning that helps the organization understand that this is where we're going we realize that as we get in there and we start to execute the work that this plan may unravel. The thing is you have to have a direction. You have to have somewhere to start and where you're going. And so that's how the flow of work begins. We have seven sprints, two, six, two weeks sprint and one, one week sprint, which is called our innovation and planning sprint. Typical safe kind of configuration, a little bit different, but typical safe uh, configuration. So every team knows exactly what work they have 
um, going in before they even start the quarter. Yeah. And, and so that is a very healthy thing um, in terms of the team being able to self-organize and look at the work and go like, you know what? Yeah, we thought that this was going to be a lot. This was a two, but really, ah, oh, this is a lot more difficult than I thought. So then they start to readjust. And that starts to go through a normal scrum cycle of the standard rituals and ceremonies of you know, your daily scrums, your sprint reviews. You still have retrospectives. Um, we, we include this thing called a mid-sprint review. After the first week, we take a, a step back for 15 minutes and said, where are we? Are we good? Are we not good? What, where do we need to adjust? And then the team um, moves forward for the next, to finish up the last week of the sprint. Does that involve like the product owner and product managers? Oh, yeah. Everyone so is like, it's like, a, it's like a review back at those high-level things that you guys aligned on. Yeah, for that sprint. For that sprint. But for that sprint. But fundamentally, we also have mid-quarter review. Mm -hmm. Okay, after three sprints, we bring all the stakeholders back and we go, okay, mm -hmm. hey, here's where we are. We said we we're going to do all these things. Guess what? We have to either scrap our whole plan mm -hmm. or we're still on target. We're 50% done of what we thought we would have done mm -hmm. or we're not totally there or somewhere else. So that gives the feedback to our stakeholders that, yeah, what we promised that we, we thought we'll get done, we're either doing it or not doing it, or, yeah. or we're off. Mm -hmm. And I know this is where some people get all squirmy about um, some of the safe practices. They said, kind of waterfallish. You're running a business. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the contexts you have to provide is for the people who are funding these initiatives, it's only fair that we come back and says, you know what? Yeah. It, this is where we are. You know, we owe you that. This is mm -hmm. how we get funding to do a lot of the work that we're doing. So, yeah. Uh, how do you, um, so then towards the end, like, you know, inevitably things are hard, right? So sometimes yeah. things don't always make it. So how do you, so you have that mid-quarter thing, like how, how do you communicate stuff towards the end about, you know, this didn't make it or this is what's in? And so how we go about doing that is that at the two-day planning event, what we call a quarterly planning event, mm -hmm. at that event, during the, the, oh. the morning of the first day, the very first thing we do is here's a, a retro of where we came from and where we are, right? Mm -hmm. So we said we were going to do these five things, and guess what? We only got four done. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we did 80% of the work that we committed to, and here's the reasons why. Um, and... Um, where did the releases fit in? Um, the releases come in on demand. We could release at any point in time. Well, one thing is we execute on cadence. You know, this is an, a safe mindset that all teams start a sprint and end them at the same time. All teams start that a is, quarter. That and is safe? Mm -hmm. That is very safe. Oh, okay. A safe practice. We release on demand. At the end of a quarter, we have enough work that's done. And, and our business said, we need to push this out. Then we go ahead and we, we've been working really diligently and doing continuous integration and continuous yeah. um, deployment, mm -hmm. automation, and automated testing. That comes into the fray or, or, or part of the mix of what we're doing. So we can so, build things and get it out to production quickly. So is a, like that, let's say that micro team, for example, so they could be working with the product owner all along and pushing out functionality to users as that team and product owner see fit? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's cool. That's good. Yeah. So this is, this is, it sounds like the safe thing is really like, uh, you got such a big enterprise that it, it kind of, it's an alignment tool for the whole big enterprise. It's like a planning cadence and alignment tool and communication mechanism and vision. Uh, this is where we're going. Sounds like a really big ship and it's kind of like, this is, it's a way to steer the ship on a macro level or something. This is not really a big enterprise because this is yeah. smaller than where I came yeah. from. There's, there's only uh, a total of seven teams. And so maybe oh. around 30 something people, 30 oh, to that, 40 people. And that they all do safe? Yeah. And, and the reasons why we bring this practice, where I came from, there was like about 2,000 developers globally and my, my previous engagement. Um, here is smaller, but the, the thing is, it, this is a way to drive alignment and engagement across the organization. Oh, right? oh. Otherwise, we're, we're doing little scrum stuff. It, it's hard to get people to engage in this context. Now we can take a step back and says, here are all the features we plan. Here's how we're doing. You guys, come in and give a vision about what, where you think we, we need to go. So part of this ceremony also, once a quarter, is that the leaders, the stakeholders come in mm. and they give a visioning from a business perspective. We give a visioning from an architecture perspective. Myself and, and my other uh, counterpart, we give a, a visioning from a team level perspective. We have a lot of dialogue in terms of, here's where we're going from a vision perspective, here we're going from a tactical perspective, and now the teams take that and bring that into fruition. So you got, so in product development, you have seven teams? Yeah, for the development teams, yeah, the, the delivery teams, yeah. And those yeah. have what kind of, so you have the micro team experiment, which is like one team divided or those seven? Well, actually, for the teams that I have, I have four teams. All of them are micro teams. I actually have five teams and all of them are micro teams oh, right now. okay. It began with that one team that was seven and I brought it into two. Yeah, I mean, all of them are micro teams now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have you have five micro teams, and then yeah. the other teams are are they like the seven plus or minus two? Matter of fact, yeah, they're right within there. My counterpart, he's also has began to adapt this practice of micro teams because he's seeing the effectiveness of it. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, we're we're getting ready to do a huge cloud initiative, and when we bring our vendors in, in our partners that we select, the Microsoft Gold partners mm -hmm. to do this. The reality is we're going to use the same practice. We're going to take these micro teams or spin up other micro teams and bring in technology coaches, tech coaches, because our teams know how to build software. We just don't know how to build software in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Now we bring in these tech coaches who will be part of that micro teams because I'm still looking at three to five people. Mm -hmm. And so I could attach one or two individuals to those teams and allow them to go off on that journey. Very cool. You know, so cool. we're going to leverage it not only in-house, but how we interact with, with our vendors. Because one of the things that we would have experienced with, with teams and dealing with consultants, external consultants, we normally throw the, the work over the fence. And then it comes back, it's not what we want, or it comes back and no one understands it. And then there's this huge learning curve. Doing this level of integration early, mm -hmm. you have continual learning all the way through the process of delivery. They understand what needs to be built. They understand mm -hmm. the new technology. I mean, they're retooled and reskilled. 
mm-hmm. and it gives us a great opportunity to uh, produce the right outcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we need to look at as we go through just to let you know, building micro teams, mm-hmm. I mean, there is an impact on the scrum master and the product owners. What's that? The impact is that you have a product owner maybe on a single product line, and now he has three small teams that he has to mm-hmm. share back. What? Yeah. So there's a little strain on that resource. And the same thing with the scrum masters, right? The scrum master also has multiple little teams that they have to be involved with on a daily basis with different needs. The cool thing is, is that it's a shorter amount of time. It's a 15-minute stand-up. You may be able to get it done in five, five to seven minutes. So it's right? one product owner and one scrum master for three small teams? Yeah. Yeah, you, you have that scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the stretch is. Okay, so because you so you had like that team of like eight or nine divide and yeah. then split into three, and yep. then that shared that those people are duplicated just because of the uh, organizational constraints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So far, nothing negative in terms of the scrum masters. Actually, they prefer it because it's they're dealing with smaller contained amount of impediments that they can handle and the teams foster the self-organizing mindset with the teams you know try to solve this yourself you don't always Mm -hmm. have to call the scrum master to get things done they may figure it out ask the right questions yeah it sounds like what you were saying earlier with the communication channels there's less load on the communication so that's all in the three sets so they can just move faster yep that's what it is it's about speed with high quality mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so we do a lot a lot smaller deliverables but once you get them the quality is a lot higher than than what it was before yeah you said the qa person is the hub yeah because they're driving the mindset behind of how do we think about the work that we have to do one thing i want to tell you is about building slack into the space Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we use the Slack context of not having things too tight. And I told you before that we, we use one story point equals one mandate, and each person could only do six story points per sprint. Mm-hmm. So that means we've built Slack into a process to ensure that we have time for learning, we have time to deal with different scenarios, like meetings and, and, and all of the different ceremonies, so people are not stretched to the maximum of being 100% available because that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the team, that helps to reduce a tremendous amount of friction mm-hmm. of trying to get things done. And I think I talked about risk mitigation and dependencies as well yeah. um, in, in terms of that being managed through scrum of scrums and teams just constantly in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Heidi. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Heidi, visit her website at www.heidihelfand.com and Google her book, Dynamic Reteaming, The Art and Wisdom of Changing Teams, published on LeanPub. Tweet with Heidi at Heidi Helfand on Twitter. Look for the Null Show with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. 
If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at DrDaveInfo or at NollShare. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017, NollShare. Now share with Dr. Dave. Now share with Dr. Dave. Now share with Dr. Dave.